For the last three years, Fit for Service has been honing a technology to bring a community together. And we've successfully held 11 different events. And the events are so powerful that actually people outside of these events, looking in at some of the people in the community, have started to lob wild accusations saying, Fit for Service is a cult. Well, really, we're the anti-cult. We're actually trying to get people to think for themselves, to actually choose the life that they're looking for. And that in and of itself goes against a lot of what people understand about society and about what we're capable of and what we're actually here to do. So in this podcast, we wanted to share the technology of how to bring together a community, the value of community, and the importance of maintaining your sovereignty while interacting in those group dynamics. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast with my fellow coaches, Caitlin Howe, Kyle Kingsbury, and Eric Godsey. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up is Fit for Service. We're going to be talking a bit about Fit for Service in this podcast, but ultimately, if you're interested, just remember you can navigate, check out everything we have to offer at fitforservice.com or download the Fit for Service app that's available on a free trial from the App Store. So check out what we have to offer. If it calls to you, whether it's one of our smaller programs that we're adding this year, which is a five-week program with Kyle Kingsbury, there's a two-week program on discerning, manifesting, attracting, and dating for singles that we're offering in February with Matthew Hussey and Rebecca Boatman, or whether it's our core program, which is going to be a nine-week program with a five-day summit here in Lockhart. You can check out all of the things we have to offer and everything else that's coming down the line for the rest of the year. Check it out at fitforservice.com. Next up, we have Mudwater. Now, Mudwater, if you're not aware of what this is, has become a staple of my morning ritual. It is a combination of some of the best ingredients on the planet. It's got masala chai. It's got cacao, lion's mane mushrooms, cordyceps mushrooms, chaga mushrooms, turmeric, cinnamon. It is just packed with everything that you want to put in your body to nourish and support this kind of ramp up for the day. Now, it's got one-seventh the amount of caffeine as coffee. And that's really, as I've talked about in my book, Own the Day, Own Your Life, you don't want to start the morning with a bunch of caffeine. Really, you don't. That's for something a little bit later on in the day. But mud water has just the right amount. And the way I like to mud water is I mix a little mud water, I mix a little butter, I mix a little protein, and then sometimes some cashew butter, and I blend it up, and I have this delicious morning drink that I look forward to every single day. And sometimes I'll go back for a second mud water because it just tastes so good. And they didn't bother with putting a bunch of extra sweeteners in there, so you can sweeten it as you like. Maybe you're comfortable with real sugar. Maybe you want stevia. Maybe you want xylitol. Maybe you want monk fruit. Whatever it is, they leave it up to you, which I really appreciate so they don't overdo it. It's just a phenomenal product. And they really did that by focusing on just creating the very best thing and absolutely doubling down on that very best thing. So I encourage you guys to give it a try. Their customer service is phenomenal. Their ownership is amazing. I know those guys over there. And it's just a great product and a great company. So I highly recommend it. So check it out, mudwater.com slash amp. Now you spell mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R.com slash amp. 
And if you go to that URL, you'll save $5 off on every mud water purchase. And finally, we have Onnit. And what I want to talk to you about with Onnit today is just how much I've been loving Alpha Brain Instant lately. So typically, I've just been using Alpha Brain Instant for podcasts and for special events, but I've been finding myself realizing that my entire day is better when I take Alpha Brain. And I used to think like, oh, maybe it's because I had a podcast and that energized me. And then I finally realized like, well, yeah, the podcast was great because I had a very focused conversation, but it's also the fact that that's what got me taking Alpha Brain Instant that day. And that is actually making a significant difference. And look, I should have probably recognized this a little bit earlier, you know? I mean, shit, I was a major part of inventing Alpha Brain, you know, like for me not to even really realize what a significant difference it's making for me overall even when i don't have something important it was pretty powerful for me to recognize that this is now something i don't do it every single day but it's not just on days where i have podcasts and recordings and important writing stretches i'm using it more frequently and i'm really enjoying just how it's making me feel overall period just my brain seems to fire better i have more energy that person that texts me i'm more likely to text them back because i have that energy and make those calls that i in between the things i just i just feel more alive more alert it's helping my mood you know in interesting positive ways as well and uh so this is kind of a rediscovery of something for me that i've been familiar with for shit almost 11 years now and just thought I would share that. Also, the Alpha Brain Instant flavors are bomb, and there's so many of them now. So keep a lookout for that. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey if you're interested in checking out Alpha Brain Instant and saving 10% off of everything. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast on community with Kyle Kingsbury, Eric Godsey, and Caitlin Howe. Family, here we are. This is our fourth year running our fit-for-service program. And one of the missions that we had from the drop was to figure out all of the tools and all of the techniques to actually form a really tight-knit community and then completely open source all that. Because, of course, not everybody can be in fit-for-service. So we got to make this widespread and share everything that we've learned in all the years. And this is our opportunity to do our best to do that. And what's interesting is, is that we set the goal to you know, teach people, allow them to become fit for service physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, spiritually, romantically. And, but we wanted to create a community, a place where people could come together and feel like they were loved and seen and could meet people. And we did such a fucking job of it that now everybody thinks we have a fucking cult. (laughs) And it's crazy. It's like bonkers when I hear it. Cause it's like, it's a fucking coaching program. Like, what are y'all talking about? you know but nonetheless like i think something about people really loving each other and loving this program it just equates to people like must be a cult yeah but i think it's actually like probably the best compliment that we could get (laughs) that we're actually because cult comes from the latin cultus which is to worship but the the kind of reverence and the love that people have for the fit for service program whether they sign up for one summit or they sign up for two summits or they sign up for three summits we have a couple people who've signed up for more there's people that have been in for three straight years yeah people who've been in from the start continually signing up to each different summit and but i think the feeling that people get when they're like around somebody who loves a group of people it freaks them out because of all of the examples that they've seen in the world yeah but i think it's like when i really take a step back i'm like 
wow, I think that probably means we're fucking doing our job. <laughs> For sure. That's a sign that we're doing something right. And I've been thinking about this a lot because as one of the coaches, we get this question pretty often in the Instagram lives that we do where someone will ask, what do I say to this family member or this friend who's asking me if I'm in a cult? And there are so many different threads that we can go down. But like the first thing that I often offer is, uh, what's the root word of culture? It's cult. And fundamentally what a cult or what is being accused is that there's essentially a collective story that's not like the story that I have and people behave in a way that I don't behave that can either scare me. It, it, it fundamentally is fear and there's some interesting things there, but there are people who are not a part of our culture who would look at our culture and if our culture was brand new and it was coming up on the scene, it would get the same accusation. And when you say our culture, you mean like the American popular culture. Right, like modern Western Civ. Right. Like if they saw everybody like looking at this strange device in their right. in their hands all the time and obsessed with it and scrolling through and like right. they're like, wow, they have a fucking power object in this cult <laughs> and they're everybody's obsessed with it. And they're like tied to it constantly. <laughs> right. And they're on it like seven hours a day. This cult is strong. And, and the it's like, God no, it's an iPhone, bitch. <laughs> fucking relax. <laughs> And the God that we worship is this line of progress. Like if you actually like think about what the stock market is and like how every company has legally bound to have to make more, we're obsessed with this shape that is this like line that when you really think about it for a moment, like these people are insane. They think that you can grow infinitely mm. anything on a finite planet, you know, and so um, but I want to open it up to the other two coaches because I could talk about this for the entire podcast. <laughs> okay, go for it. No. Um, yeah, I think part of that too is our culture, largely, it's it's a bunch of individuals with tunnel vision and you only see people really gather for you know festivals or concerts and there's not cohesion there. There's not actually a sense of you know familiarity amongst the people that are gathering where they know each other and they can come up and give each other a hug and they can call each other by name and when you do see people gather you know outside of that it's it's largely like civil unrest a protest or something where there's but even that doesn't have the familiarity or, right no. it just has the gathering exactly it's either for like inebriation or rage yeah people wow. like gather yeah and so we're 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 familiar with a culture of individuals who aren't looking at each other aren't comfortable like how often when you get you know even in an elevator everybody protects themselves by kind of going into their own space avoiding eye contact saying you know um kind of polite phrases that don't really have any depth and answering accordingly you know how are you doing fine there's there's we don't live in a culture where we are building true bonds and looking at each other and being in intimacy with each other. So it's disruptive when you see a large group get together and be intimate with each other and celebrate and you know worship the divine within. I think, yeah, it's exactly, that's hitting the nail on the head. I think um, I'm just picturing myself ripping one in an elevator for some reason. <laughs> I like to go against the grain. So I'm just gonna let this up now and act like nothing's happening. And then nobody talks about it, right? <laughs> yeah, <It's> like... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No one, Did you just, we just go about our business, right? No, one's, no one would ask that though. Exactly. If I do that, no one's gonna say shit, especially to me. <laughs> and maybe they should, right? That'd be a great conversation. 
but um that reminds me of just to go on this tangent that one time that i that i ripped a fart on an airplane and it was horrible i was just like reading a book and i was just reading a book and i was like i'm just gonna keep just keep it keep it calm here just keep reading <laughs> this guy in the row in front of me he's like a, he's probably like 55 or whatever older man in like a disheveled suit like he'd had like a hard day being a salesman or something selling tires and he just gets up he stands up and he goes oh 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 no oh oh and he's looking around and he like sees me and i'm like just reading my book and he's just looking around for the culprit oh i mean he fucking lost it it was like the last straw i was like the lost final offense that he received that day he might have gone like what was that movie falling down falling down michael douglas michael douglas he might have went full michael douglas if i caused harm to anybody i'm sorry you with a plastic fork (laughs) he's like oh oh he was like ringing his call button (laughs) justice must be served Well, I think Carry the point on. that I was going to make outside of the farting on an elevator is that some of this has to do with, with you know, what Jordan Peterson was talking about with the analogy of the lobsters or the crabs in a bucket. You know, it's really hard. Like if you're a male or a female in a marriage and your partner, is, you're both hefty, but one of them doesn't want to lose weight and the other one does, that can be one of the hardest things because effectively the crabs are all keeping and preventing any crab from getting out of the bucket or lobster, whatever you want to use. And... I think more specifically, when we get locked into the the merry-go-round or the, the, the rat wheel of going through the motions every single day in a job that we don't like and going through the motions of a relationship pretending everything's cool and we really haven't had that spark since the beginning in the honeymoon phase and you live for the weekend and the weekend is numbing when you're on that wheel and all of us have experienced this you know most of us i mean all of every one of us has and have jumped off that fucking thing that's why we can see it clearly now but for a lot of people that are still there when you watch a video and you see somebody dancing freely you know you might be initially you might be like wow what the fuck is that and then the second that gets washed out with, oh, that's that's weird. What are these guys doing? They're mm-hmm. doing something different. That's right. weird, right? But to see somebody, you can see, you know, and I don't, I'm not saying I'm a great dancer or a bad dancer or anything in between. Like there's no judgment on the way that I dance, but all of you have seen me dance when I'm in the fucking moment and I don't give a shit how I look, right? It's feminine, it's whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm dancing the way my, it's being danced through me, right? To look at that from the outside, if you've never moved your body in a way like that, if you are uptight from all of the should haves and should bees from mm-hmm. society, from your parents, from your teachers, and you've never broken through that, that's scary to a lot of people. And the easy thing to do is to say, damn, my daughter's being brainwashed, or damn, my husband's being brainwashed, or whatever the thing is, or look at all these idiots following this cult leader (laughs) you know that becomes so much easier than the reflection of holy shit i want to do that or holy shit Mm -hmm. why can't i move my body that way why can't why is it so hard for me to give a real hug yeah everyone we all know this you know like there's some people you hug some of them new members you know first day and then Mm. by the end of it it's different right but that that kind of half side hug where it's like oh yeah nice to meet you you know Mm -hmm. and you get like one shoulder 
And then there's that genuine, like, we are, you know, outside of sexual relations, going to get as close as we possibly fucking can to each other mm. and hold each other and merge for a moment in each other's energy fields and really, you know, open that up and feel into that. And that's the genuine sweet spot of what a hug should be, yeah. right? But a lot of people have never experienced that in their entire lives. This idea that, you know, if you see something that you really want, you have really two choices. One, you have to, you can say like, fuck, I want that. I really do want that. And I'm going to figure out how to get that. Or two, you can actually denigrate that thing. You can push that thing into a box or a category where there's no possible way that it actually exists. Like it won't work. It doesn't, it can't happen. This isn't real. This is a cult. This is, they're on drugs, blah, 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 whatever else. And that way you can discard it from your idea of what's possible. So you don't judge yourself for not being able to do that thing, whether it's dancing or feeling like you're seen or feeling like you can share your feelings openly, whatever that is. If you really are faced with a choice, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. either like, all right. I'll do the work necessary so that I can be that free and I can feel that thing. Or you just lob insults and put that thing in a box and then you never have to worry about it again because you've already said like, all right, that's not real, that's bullshit. And that could be a relationship structure, that could be mm -hmm. you know these experiences that we're having in community. It could be actually, I think a lot of people have done this with psychedelic medicine, you know, like, oh, that's just drugs. Well, that's obviously, there's been so much clinical research now that it's harder to do that. But back 10 years ago when I was talking about it, it was all that same thing. Like, I don't, that's just, you know, he's just a druggie. Yeah, my mother-in-law calls it like, you, you you two go down to the, you know, the Amazon and work with witch doctors. And uh, right, demons right. In the room. Yeah. You don't realize, you know. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, so okay. so those, are the, those are the choices you have. And, and it is that part of like, fear and worry like i really do want that i want that healing or i want that experience but fuck i don't know I, i'm not i don't have the courage to like go actually do it so let me just get it out of my field of possibilities i think there's another um deeper aspect too is when you've invested in an agreement to operate a certain way function a certain way and you've been living your whole life in this agreement with a sacrifice so you're basically you are basically agreeing to make yourself uncomfortable and numb out the needs of your body and the natural impulses of your body to make the collective more comfortable. Mm. You have now lived your entire life this way. And when you realize that there's a possibility of living another way, there's almost like this undercurrent of grief for, for sure, all 100%. of the years I have given up my constant invitation and opportunity to be in full expression of myself and that could be crying too that's another thing that we share massive. with each other in this community that's you stifle it everywhere because and the the interesting paradox is we we think of ourselves as individual we operate individually but we're actually making the sacrifice of our essential needs to make the collective more comfortable around us so there's this interesting um, like subterranean depth that's that's grief and um you know you almost have to double down on how you've been living to to cope with that on some level i think that's an aspect for a lot of people that's not even really conscious mm -hmm. yeah i love that and the perspective that comes th through for me really powerfully is feeling into the little child inside of the other and that the child wants to dance the child knows how to dance. The child wants to cry, knows how to cry, wants to laugh, 
knows how to laugh. And either through the parents or through the culture, they download an inner bully. That's like, mm. shut, shut the fuck up, be quiet, be good, mm -hmm. be how mom or dad or coach or culture want you to be. And whatever the external critiques are of us or of any group that the label cult has put on, and just by the way, feeling into how cheaply we throw that word around and what you're actually accusing when you really feel into it, like that's a word that our culture uses in the same way that like the crusades use the devil. That it's this- Heretic. It's this mm -hmm. word to represent like the worst possible thing. Because when you really feel into it, if you put forth that label, you're saying <clears throat> a group is intentionally trying to rob the will of the individual and like hijack maybe their most divine aspect. And to me, that's like, one of the heaviest critiques that you could ever like charge someone with. But anyone who is denigrating what they're seeing in other communities that they know that they want, if it's external, that's evidence that it's been an internal abuse of their own inner call to do those things for decades. And that there's massive compassion when I feel into like to see some like, Every photo you've ever seen of Fit for Service, we're sober. Like, I think that that's one of the things that people misunderstand. We're not doing sex parties and we're not doing psychedelics. It's an explicit invitation to show up and learn how to cultivate these experiences endogenously. Mm. But if you see a picture- You said cultivate and didn't even, didn't even get happy about that. <laughs> yeah. pun, pun master Godzi. I really do enjoy these podcasts because they're usually pun free and it's like a great discourse that we have. <laughs> yep. But you know, I just want to commend you for, for passing right over that, that word. Right I thought over of when that you word. said culprit, I was like, culprit. <laughs> so what I've done is I've ruined everyone on this team because I've punned so much that now they are making the puns for me and In I wasn't even meaning to do alone. it. Um, but let me see if I can land what I was about to say. Nope, it's gone. This this idea that, you know, people are mm. accusing us of these these wild accusations. The the irony is is that it's literally the opposite. We come with no dogma, there's no script, there's nothing. It's like what is going to get you individually to the place where you can live the most flourishing life? And I think that's one of the keys. If we're going to go transition now into the keys of really cultivating, you know, a community, one of the I things is not to come with an agenda. I mean, we have a structure of different ideas of different initiations and experiences and things we're going to learn. You know, like coming up, we have beyond biohacking, mastering the body for for total transformation. Right. So, how to use your breath to access different states of consciousness, meditation. We're gonna do a, a race that involves this challenge from ancient Sparta that I don't wanna ruin the surprise <laughs> about. We're gonna do some cool shit, flow state with Jamie Wheel. Yeah. You know, there's things that we have on there, but it's not, all of these things are designed to elicit someone's own self-awareness about where they need to go, what their next step is without a dogma of trying to get them to do anything. Right. You know, and I think that's the thing that, that people, kind of miss is oftentimes there's this 
intention about you know even some of these other, i don't really feel like naming them by name because you know people have been involved but there's always this like intention for some marketing thing like all right now that you've done this go talk to 10 people and you got to bring 10 people back into this fucking thing and i think probably all of us know which program <laughs> i'm talking about but there's all kinds of shit that you hear about where it's like you get people all fired up into this riled up situation then it's like and then hit them with the pitch right you know and it's like that's that's i think where the people who are a little bit more sensitive are going to really push away from that and that's something that's i think one of the principles for if you're starting anything like this is like don't come in with a fucking agenda like if you're going to have people become fit for service like genuinely be of service like that's the that's the kind of thing like genuinely be of service and don't have that fucking hubris to think that you know what's going to be of service specifically for that person give them the container exactly figure that out for themselves whatever the fuck that is what healing do you need let me see if i can support that yeah without this top down like i know what you need like this is this is like a big part of the paradigm that the whole world Mm -hmm. needs to shift which is reverence and trust for everybody else out there like i trust you i trust you to figure it out if you want to dance fucking dance if you want to wiggle around and not dance (laughs) wiggle around if you want to sit down and watch us dance sit down and watch us dance like do you do you whatever whatever you need to do if we're doing breath work go fucking go for it if you want chill out if you want yep like whatever you this is your journey you know like there's not an idea that i have that i know what you need you know what you need and like you have to make the step because if you don't make the step and someone else does it for you then you're going to become codependent yeah there's there are no healers but for the people who hold space enough to inspire or allow or invite you to have your own intelligence your own psyche and physical intelligence originate your own healing it's space holding to allow self-healing and that's really the that's the process that ever that yields lasting transformation is when somebody's own innate innate intelligence um, starts to spark and guide them in their own perfect unique way for their own medicine to flourish and i think when people see these um you know and there are people out there um offering themselves as healers i am going to fix you and that's a you know that's a big um misinterpretation of what we are doing we are creating a space to invite people in into recognizing their own intelligence to self-heal yeah Yeah, it's a you know we we talk so often about sorry brother i know you want to jump in but we talk so often about how, how much has changed from the very first year until now and you know the the sum of the all the parts are so much greater than we ever could have imagined because of the community specifically that was the first mm-hmm. thing that stood out where it was like damn this thing is phenomenal and i think about you know some of those things that weren't necessarily on the radar but are super evident in the last year and that's as we heal or in some people come here they don't need healing they just need direction or clarity but as we go through these things with as brothers and sisters in arms and in the containers that we provide and set up for each other with the experts that we bring in, we're reconnecting people to their intuition. We're reconnecting them back to their internal compass and their exactly. daemon. They have connection now to the high self, whatever you want to call that, the inner voice becomes stronger. And the inner judge will always be there, but it can be recognized for what it is and it can sit in the passenger seat. And with that, people can actually have full identity with the true self 
and they can move into designing all the things that they want in their lives and taking steps towards that. Yeah, so that actually really helps clarify something um, for me. And it's that like the tragedy of a lot of classical psychiatry and even therapy and even kind of classic Western healthcare is it's implied. You don't know. I know. Come to me and I'll give you the things that you need. That fundamentally is the opposite of what we are seeking to do with our container and what I think any community that is going to be successful must do. And what we are seeking to do is how can we create a space for you to go through whatever you need to go through so you can connect to that inner voice where now there is no external power that's in between you and what is right for you. And that's actually radical in the spaces that we're used to that we call healthcare or healing or whatever or the thing is. 100%. Yeah. You know, like think, exactly. about, think about thousands of years of religion where the religious institution has been the middle person right. between a human and the divine. You gotta come through me. Oh, you God? Yeah, yeah, come through me. Pay me 10%, come through me, I'll show you God. It's like, yeah. what? What the fuck are you talking about? You know, like yeah. that, this whole concept and same in, same in medicine. Yeah. You know, and certainly doctors can have expertise. I think we've probably all gotten our life saved at some 100%. point by an amazing doctor. Yeah. But still this idea that we can't take most of our health into our own hands and that you have to go through this system, this middle person. Yeah, sometimes you need to. You know, no fucking doubt about it. But for so much of the experience, you talk to someone like Dr. Zach Bush and their whole point is to remind people of their inner healer. And I think that's why Joe Dispenza is just on this wildfire of of like attraction to people because he's showing people our own power to be our own inner healer yeah and like this take our power back kind of mentality of like recognizing the sovereign majesty of the entirety mm-hmm. of who we are like that is a that is a that is a revolution i think it's part of the revolution that we're currently in where more top-down control is being pushed onto the world less trust less reverence and then other people are like whoa this is too much and then so they're pulling back and be like uh-uh like i'm gonna take my health in my own hands and i'm gonna trust myself and i'm gonna so it's creating this kind of interesting contest between control and people recognizing and trusting themselves and each other yeah you know it it really all of that highlights for me just the it's wild to feel how we're just born so immersed in our culture that we don't even question that passive, like giving away of our authority. And really a a fun and interesting and kind of mind blowing question to ask would be like, what cult am I already in? (laughs) (laughs) What cult was I born into? Am I ever pointing a finger at the, the, the powers that be that I surrender my sovereign majesty to? Like, let's ask that question. And yeah. it's it's such an interesting dance and it's, it's part of the beauty of getting to be a human because nothing is A or B. Nothing mm-hmm. is, it's either this or it's that. It's this beautiful interplay of all these different things and that one of the things that we have to balance is how much do I need to come into myself so that I can come into a community? And it's not either, so you are not serving a community by completely giving yourself away to a community where you transgress yourself and you abandon yourself and you don't listen to that inner whisper. But also 
you do not serve, you are not of service if you are only paying attention to what is healing for you or good for you at the expense of being in relation with others. And so there's this interesting balance between I'm sovereign to the to the degree that I can authentically serve. And I serve to the degree that I can be in alignment with what is true in my body now, which is not truth, but try to do something that doesn't feel true for your body now and you know, see what happens. So let's take this to somebody who's just listening and they want to start to create this kind of relational construct with their with their peers. Yeah. Right. And you know, a lot of us have had, I mean, I spent, I remember I was, I don't know, it's probably 24, 25. I was post college and I felt like, man, I really don't have a true friend. Mm. I don't have not a not a one, not a single one. And then I met actually Bodhi. And Bodhi was like somebody hey, where I was your friend. Yeah. You're a different type of friend. <laughs> different type of friend. Just kidding. Uh but it was really about being mm-hmm. it was really about being seen like i felt like he really saw me and i really saw him and there was this kind of relaxing like holy shit you know i think this is one of the five basic drives that we all have is to be seen but i think it's not about necessarily you have to meet that special person that sees right. you which is the way that it was there cuz i didn't have the technology to actually cultivate that and i think what we've discovered is there's ways in which you can do this either through one conversation, sitting down, making an agreement, and maybe having some prompts. Yep. Like, what is that thing that you're most ashamed of? You know, what is that thing that you judge yourself the most for? And then the important thing is, is that when someone is sharing, you have to be a clear and loving mirror. Like, if you judge them for saying the thing that they judge themselves for, it's just going to reinforce that thing. It's going to bury that shame poison pill even deeper into the psyche. Like you have to be willing to hold that reflection with non-judgment. You know, what is the thing you desire most? What's your, what's this thing? Like all of these things, what is the thing that you think is the best attribute of you, but you would be too shy to express it? You know, like all of these prompts Mm -hmm. where you like allow someone to be comfortable to like actually say the truth and then you go back and forth like sharing these things we've done this in men's groups and different other places it's always very powerful it's just first of all just a conversation technology to get you to a point where you're actually speaking what's really going on not not filtering it so that the watcher of you is knowing what the watcher of them (laughs) is going to think but just like letting it out and what you're going to find is everybody's got the same shit everybody's operating on this slightly superficial level where we're just modulating how things are going just enough so that people don't go whoa you're fucked up but really the truth is that we're all <laughs> fucked up <laughs> we all have like weird shit going on in our brain and in our psyche and different lusts and different shames and different things that are happening and if we all just actually like let it out we're like wow i'm not alone i'm yeah. actually not alone yeah the thing that is interesting is so your path of being seen for the first time uh, came through meeting someone who was able to like create that effect for you. For me, um, I had to see myself. I didn't have anyone around me that could reflect back to me in a way where I felt like I was fully seen and I could relax. And 
for me, it was journaling. It was, um, I think I was like 24. I had just gotten out of a four year relationship and I, I felt fucking broken. I was like, no one knows me. And um, I started reading The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And I started this practice of journaling three pages every day where the way you journaled was expressively, stream of consciously, where you never picked up the pen, you never worried about how you were spelling anything, and you would never reread it. And that the point was just to be honest, just to admit mm -hmm. to yourself whatever was true in that moment. And I realized after I did that for a couple of weeks where I was like, I have never created a space in my life to have a conversation with myself where I wasn't in persona trying to win other people over. <laughs> I'd never had a space in my life where I was being honest with myself. And once I cultivated being honest with myself and it took months and like, there were some brutal fucking pages. I could start to just be honest with the people around me who weren't used to that. And it actually weeded out a lot of my relationships at that point in my life, but it created a vibration in me where the first person I met after that became still to this day, my longest tenured friend, because I had created the commitment in me to see myself and then just to share that with people. So it's like, there's two ways to do it. You can find the person who has the ability to meet you where you're at and look through your persona. And then there's the other way where you can um, start internally. Uh, and I love journaling. I think, I, think that's a great, I think that's a great point about a good place to start. For me, I think one of the challenges was is that this was 22 years ago, I was 18 years old. I do a psychedelic medicine journey with the shaman in the mountains of New Mexico. MDMA and psilocybin combination all night alone in the in the hut in the fucking mountains with coyotes howling and rain swirling and a fire to keep me warm and I went through that experience and nobody that I knew in my fucking peer group did anything even fucking close to that right so like I spent all night feverishly writing and like understanding and actually getting to know myself through that that was my that was my like awakening technique moment where i understood the entirety of myself but then i couldn't find anybody and this it's a different world now i mean <laughs> fast forward 22 years this shit's different now like everybody's like yeah you know i did ayahuasca 17 times and blah, blah, blah. like but that was it was just different then and so i think one of the reasons that you know when i met bodhi is he was just cruising around as a kid in new hampshire picking up mushrooms out of fucking cow patties and mm. eating them and like cruising down to the stream and hiking up a mountain and skiing on mushrooms at 10 years old and like he was like he was in it so he saw me and i saw I could, there was like a depth of like awareness of self like he he knew himself as not only bodhi the persona but bodhi the infinite undying unborn consciousness and he could see me as the same and i was like holy shit <laughs> you know like i'm not fucking crazy like yeah. here here we go but I think this is, it's a different world now, but if, I think it is very important to really be able to see yourself first. And I think if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have found that person who could also mm. see me in return. So it's a very similar idea. And this is not a recommendation to go do psychedelic medicine. You know, this is like, whatever your method is, you got there through journaling. Like whatever the method is, like to deeply know thyself. Yeah, I will I will say I've always been 
I haven't always. I grew up very, very shy, and I compensated and adapted to that um, as I came into my adulthood by being hypersocial. And so I've always had a lot of community, but a lot of it originated in my early 20s from um, getting myself in a state through drugs or alcohol where I could feel my inhibitions subside and be in full expression. And, um, you know, it's been some work to unpack all of that, but I will say there was a there was, there's a couple of things that worked for me always. And one is seeing people. If you make a commitment to yourself to be present to somebody and really show up and see them, then it off, it offers that doorway like you're describing with Bodhi where there's an, there's an opportunity for them to open up and actually be who, be who they are. And um, a lot of the ways of built community was creating the invitation. I'm going to be in full expression. I'm going to see you and help you feel special and seen and like someone is presencing to you. And that, you know, I could feel it in them just open and feel like, yes, I, I'm invited into more expression. I'm invited into, um, you know, being heard and seen. And I ultimately, you know, started moving through my own rites of passage and finding, um, deeper levels of myself and and um and letting down some of those those uh crutches i use to be more uninhibited and getting to actually Wait, you let those down i, I did <laughs> hey she's you still don't got know. a pair in the corner i mean <laughs> just in case she needs to bring them like out of retirement fun toys now <laughs> rather than like i depend on them for walking okay yeah they're, they're like it's like a cane with like a bedazzled yeah, like a, sparkle like rainbow dope, cane like just, it's the walking stick it's the staff <laughs> with a crystal on top <laughs> Yeah, my but, hers, uh, but the other thing I just wanted to mention too is is poetry, like art. For me, um, I had I'm such a full spectrum being and had all of these dynamic sides of myself. It was like they needed a place to go, and so writing, journaling was massive for me. Being honest with myself in the journaling space, but also giving a channel for whatever felt too wild or too dark or too. Um, you know, um, unconventional to have a voice and be be transformed into art. And every time I share it, there's this outpouring of people being like, me too, thank you, thank yeah. you. And that just invites that forward in other people. And so you get to honor all of yourself when you're willing to, you know, take the full spectrum truth of who you are and put it into poetry or art of some form. And you find those people that resonate with that and you can, you can look at each other and say, I see you, you know. It reminds me of Jamie Wheel telling me like uh, after my hell loop, he said, uh, anytime you feel like it's Groundhog Day or, or if you're stuck in a rut, seek novelty, create art and help others. Mm. And I said, well, how do I help others? And he says, help others, seek novelty and create art. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck I love yeah. that. It's so basic and so true. Mm. You know, I, I share a lot with you, Katie, in that from like 13 years old on, there was never a stretch where I was sober. You know, like maybe a couple weeks or something like that. And then football season come around, it'd be sober for football season-ish. And um, yeah, when football ended, that was probably the darkest, darkest time of my life. And fighting started to give me that doorway where unlike football, it demanded so much of my body that if I fucked off with cocaine or alcohol, like I would have months just trying to get my cardio back. So I actually had much longer stints. And if I fought three times a year, I was dead sober for at least six or seven months of that year. And that really 
you know, forced me in a way to sit with myself. And along the way, you know, sports psychologists, breath work, all of these things that I thought were weird or fucking silly, they mattered because it mattered how I showed up in a cage. And thankfully I had my, my coach, my first maestro, Wietzi, who was my boxing coach, working me with, with traditional sweat lodges, Timus calls and, and plant medicines. And in the, those experiences, that further peeled back the onion to where I actually felt comfortable in my skin for the first time in my life. Yeah. And eventually no longer identified with being a fighter or needing that, or this is what I do. It's like, no, this is what I do now. And when it, when it ends, that'll be cool too. You know, but I think the, the main driver for me at that point and for my wife, Tosh, was we too were seeking others. You know, we had found it in each other and we weren't experts by any means when we met each other. Neither one of us had done ayahuasca. She hadn't done anything. And, um, but we were willing to grow with one another. And that brought us to that place of, of self-realization where it was like, we're, we're not being fed by the relationships we have. We need that. You know, and of mm -hmm. course- Aya and psilocybin would lead us to you, Aubrey. And <laughs> I just said yes, yeah. and, and here we are. But I think so many people find themselves in a similar situation where either through journaling or meditation or yoga or plant medicines, or even just through pain, like Paul Check talks about yeah. the pain teacher. Through that pain teacher, they come to a, a space of, mm -hmm. fuck this, something's wrong, and I want it to be better. And the first thing they see is the thing that's closest to them and that's relationship either with a significant other or with their friends and if the group of friends is doing the same old shit that they've always done you know then not to shit on people but if it's if it's fantasy football and getting hammered on the weekends that's that's going to run its course and it may not some people may do that until they die and be happy with it but for some of us that's going to run its course and we're going to want more and i think that's one of the biggest factors that brings people into this group is a desire to be around like-minded individuals that want to grow. Yeah, yeah I I really want to just um, piggyback on that a little bit to say it is a lot of the time when we're craving community, we think of the people that we know. And it's like, I want a different kind of relationship. I want to build this here where I'm at with the people that I know. But sometimes that mirror is, you know, when you talk about your peers back then, same for me, you know, in nightclubs or something, there's a mirror that expects a persona. There's a mirror that's comfortable with you being the way that you always were. And so one of the things that really helped me when I was at my rock bottom living in Las Vegas was I was like, I want to write. I just found a writer's group. I knew nobody. I went there and I showed up vulnerably and shared my writing and made new friends. And it was like the putting yourself in a space where you don't have a familiar mirror and seeing what emerges from you and what wants to be and allowing that to be yeah. received by people can really help you just get to know yourself in a way where you return to your communities and you can call it forth in how you show up. So here's, here's something that I would like to propose to people. Everybody think about writing your most intimate, intimate, truthful thoughts down in a journal. Think about you writing all of that stuff that's on your heart and mind. And you probably should actually go do that at some point. It's always really helpful yes. to do that. But, <laughs> and now imagine, okay, who are the people or is the person that you would hand that to to read? And feel safe. And feel safe. <laughs> right like who would you hand that to to read just just not thinking about now of course if you think about that you're about to hand it to you'll start to self-edit 
yeah. they'll start to just write things in a way that, well, let me just round the corners on this jagged piece. <laughs> you know, I can't fucking say it like it is if someone's going to read it. But no, just it's already been written just from the truth. You believe fully that as you're writing it, this is going to be locked away forever or burned and incinerated. No one will ever see it. But at that point, you have a revelation. Someone comes to you, okay, say, so who do you feel comfortable showing this to? And if that answer is no one, then this is the opportunity to form a different type of relationship, mm -hmm. to form a relationship where you would share your absolute, unfiltered, unedited, most raw, vulnerable thoughts with. Like, who are those people? Now, all of us, we have this little ritual where we trade beads and we wear a necklace and we all have each other's beads on the necklace, which is signifying that very thing, that all of us, and if not, we should probably have a chat after this. <laughs> but, like, but I would trust that with everybody, everybody whose bead is on the necklace. Now, I will say one challenging issue is in romantic relationships, yeah. despite how close you are and how some things, you know, like Vi knows the the way the hair pattern is around my butthole you know whereas like i don't want anybody else to know that you know but she does that's cool polaroid at the bottom of your <laughs> of your self-reflection like, so there's certain parts that i'm like real comfortable with her seeing you know mm -hmm. but like that's where it's a real challenge and that's where you know when we've talked about it where you know the first ayahuasca of the year i was like shown like man, I have I have a lot of lust still, even though I'm not polyamorous. It's still in there, and I'm not trying to do anything with it. But I want I want Vi to see it, and Vi didn't want to look at it because it was scary based on her past mm -hmm. relationships. And then through the course of this year, like allowing her to see that has just brought us so much more intimately. Yeah. But so it it's a challenge in those romantic partnerships because there's also a cult of relationship, which oh, yeah. is. Once we're together, you're only going to be attracted to me, to me. <laughs> you know, like, you will be attracted to me and only me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, this is what the yeah. fucking thing is. And it's like, really? M maybe not. You know, I mean, like, let's be honest. Let's just be real. Nope, you signed a contract. <laughs> yeah, I have it right here. Well, that, I was talking to my sister today, and my sister's had a lot of, you know, challenging relationships as well. My sister, Shannon. And, and she was like, I just want fucking someone to be honest Mm -hmm. like be like yeah you're my favorite but i'm still gonna want to bang some other women on the side you know but i you're the best of them you're really the best of them she'd be like i'd fucking take that yeah. <laughs> like i'd fucking take it just because she's craving that honesty because mm -hmm. so much has been sheltered and hidden behind this wall of like i'm gonna show you just a little bit so i think this is really like an important thing to think about like yeah. who are the people that you would share that journal entry with who are the people that you would fully let that out? And what this brings up for me as one of the key components to cultivating community is essentially initiation rights, which is more fundamentally do hard shit with the people close to you where there's a clear set of rules and there's like a goal. And sports tries to get at this in high school. And like most of us, almost everyone who is like on our team has played, has has excelled at some type of sport. And sport, what it can do when it works is it can show you that you can go beyond what you thought your limits were. And you also get to see what the people around you are really made of when there's no more energy in the brain or the nervous system to cultivate a persona. Like you really can know, do they show up when they think that there's no hope? And you know, and it, it, 
it can be as simple as like a basketball game or a football game. And that what we have found in fit for service is like breath work is, is initiatory mm -hmm. dancing, which is so wild to me and, and really uh, makes me emotional when I feel into for most of my life, I had the story that I could not dance, which is gaslighting myself because children know how to dance. And I can feel the people in my life, like the people in my family who all hold that story. They don't believe that they can dance and they don't even believe that they can hug, you know, and they mm -hmm. don't believe that it's okay to cry and they don't believe that it's okay to properly or to honestly express themselves. And so initiatory rites in the form of ecstatic dance or breath work can give people the opportunity to see a whole bunch of other people in real time go beyond their limits. And there's something binding about that. And then when you bring the lens of like initiatory rights to conversations, that's essentially what we're talking about here when it talks about like cultivating honesty. It's like, will you make the agreement with someone else of, I will never lie to you. I will do my absolute best to cultivate how well I can speak the truth, but what I will not do is consciously lie to you ever you've just created an initiatory container with someone. Mm -hmm. And once you get to the point where there's no one in your quote unquote community that you are actively in deceit with, which is something that before I started it, that's just baseline. Like baseline is I'm, I'm going to manage you with my language so I don't feel uncomfortable. But it costs so much cognitive energy to not be honest. And it's one of those things where like, if you eat like shit most of your life, you don't know how much you're taxing your nervous system until you like do a fast. And then you're like eating Skittles the way that I used to as a kid feels like poison in my body now. That once you get to the point where you are not managing your appearance through lying with anyone in your life, the fucking, Yes. <sighs> that comes from that. Um, it, it, it starts to create what I think is the third really important piece to creating community is to have like an ethos that is above every individual in the group. And that fundamentally is what makes a cult impossible is that if there's truly a collected agreed upon ethic that transcends any individual, there's no one who gets to act outside of the ethic and, and doesn't get called out by the community that uh, those three feel like really key aspects for people who want to start to create a community where they're at. Absolutely. And I think uh, <clears throat> there is an opportunity for anyone listening, for all of us right now to start with ourselves. If you create an ethos for yourself and how you're going to relate to yourself and you give yourself permission to express in truth to yourself, that's a, that's a massive baseline to start from because I mean I'm personally recognizing still moving through this process and it may be a lifetime you know of work but there are so many ways where we inhibit our truth from ourselves even in the privacy of our own space. <laughs> yeah, I'm not you know you you dissociate from anger from shame. Um, we hurry ourselves, we busy ourselves, we feel the tears rise and we suppress them, mm -hmm. and so much of the the ethos that we can create for ourselves is radical permission for the body to do what it needs to do. 
I love that. And when we practice that with devotion, we learn to give ourselves permission to express in a way that becomes an invitation to everybody around us. So if we can be with what's arising and let it move through our bodies, and maybe that's dance alone, weird, <laughs> you know, in our underwear in our house, or maybe that's, you know, screaming and raging. This is, well, this is something that I think is very important to take a pause in, right? Mm -hmm. Because the ecstatic dance container is radical permission to dance, but you're in a group. And now the group is encouraged to either keep their eyes closed. And you're not dancing, looking at somebody. It's not like dance circle at a wedding party, you know, where everybody's looking at that, which is pretty fun. We've Elf done in that. The we've, done, we've done that a few times. A few, you know, worms, you did some break dancing. I was, we were getting after it. That's a different fucking That wasn't thing. an ecstatic dance. Though. That was not an ecstatic yeah. dance. The ecstatic dance is about your full permission to express yourself however the fuck you want to express yourself. Mm -hmm but it's in a group, right? So it's understandable, like I get it, I understand why, and sometimes ecstatic dance is blindfolded, that's how I learned it actually, was blindfolded Same. and we had mm -hmm. different facilitators who had little like feathers and they would move you, tiny drum, like trying to move you in, away from running into people. Uh, or speakers. And, yeah, exactly, and you know, but the truth is that most people would be afraid to dance in their own oh, room yeah. in the dark mm -hmm. in a free way. Now, why? That doesn't make any fucking sense. It's because we have two parts of ourselves. One is the person that's alive, the living body, the one who just witnesses life, perceives life, the perceiver, just life is moving in and out of them with each breath in the present moment, the one that's really alive. And then the one that is watching the one that is alive and judging mm -hmm. that person, creating a contiguous story in a timeline of past and present with all of the shoulds and all the indoctrinations of culture, everything that it's learned and watching and trying to guide that to a successful outcome, the outcome being an increased chance for reproduction and survival, et cetera, using pleasure versus pain, all of the things that were biologically programmed, it's all part of what the watcher is doing. So the watcher has a purpose. It's trying to get us into a story that actually will yield a positive result, but if we're in the identity of the watcher, then we're stifling and strangling the person that's really alive, right? And you'll know that because you won't be willing to do something in the privacy of your own, of your own room, right? And this could be dancing. This could be if you're a man finding your own prostate, right? Like, mm -hmm. It's you with you. <laughs> yeah. It's you with you. It might be where we're most constricted. Right? Like, like it's, it's so crazy. And we think like, oh, well, I wouldn't want to tell performing. my buddies about it. Yeah, sure. All right. Fine. But just try to be you with you yeah. and deal with the watcher. Yeah. Deal with that part of you that's watching you. And the beautiful thing about community, though, is even when you're having trouble with that, when somebody else goes exactly. first, yes. they give you radical permission. You see that person really going, you're like, well, fuck, I guess I can do it. It There's relaxes no, the watcher. It relaxes the watcher because the watcher's like, oh, wow, this is a different set of rules here. I got to reframe my whole construct of indoctrination to say like, wow, I can do it. I can cry. I can cry. I can totally lose my shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's people in the breath work. It was like full exorcism mode. Yeah. You know, like full on screaming and crying and whatever. And we had experts there who like were like, and fortunately, we had blue in that experience. Like for the most, I was like, "He's beyond expert." Yeah, all right, blue, you got that yeah. one over there. Like, good. but it's not that any one of us couldn't that we would hold them. It's just like there's somebody there that just is going to see you 
and love you and help you and move allow through you. and allow you to just experience what you're experiencing fully. And then you're like, wow, I'm fucking free. Wait a minute. I'm free. Yeah. And I'm you can really, do that for yourself. <laughs> I'm really free. And then the watcher is retrained. And I think that's what Fit for Service is doing. It's retraining someone's individual watcher mm -hmm. so that they become free. And they're the, really free. The higher expression of the watcher is the loving witness. It's just compassionate witnessing and that's the god in us you know if it it just watches it's well that's actually that that's actually the one that's alive yeah it's like that's, there you it's go, actually there you the go one living. that's alive it's a loving witness that's loving what ramdas was talking about he's talking about the alive person the one that's really alive that's a real being that's just lovingly witnessing all that's god the loving yeah. a perspectival witness of all i'm just perceiving and breathing and breathing and living like, I think that's, that's the spectrum of our human experience. The human is divine, wildly divine, but the human is going to fully merge with the experience, have all the emotions, feel all of the pleasure, feel all of the suffering, and be in that. And you get to kind of move as a human being, a conscious human being of a divine nature, move from loving witness to full immersion into the human experience and have the full spectrum of what we came here to be this yeah. this reminds me of sam harris's argument back in the day that we don't truly have free will and that is because of you know the societal impulses and nature and nurture all of those things the the biological drivers that are behind us that we're actually we can steer but we don't have full range of motion with the wheel yet mm -hmm. you know and this is really what we're cultivating together is to give people back that steering wheel. It's to yeah. give them full access to the full range of motion of their entire being, and then they can decide. Yeah, And they can also, with that compass, catch themselves back in the old narrative, like, holy shit, I did it again. Oh, yeah. that's okay, that's okay. Yeah. Wow, all right, that's cool, that's okay. It's like when you first learn how to meditate and not beat your own ass for not doing it correctly, <laughs> right. where you're like, idiot, that was 20 minutes of fucking thinking, you know? <laughs> like the second that, dissolves you know like emily fletcher said she's like you could have 19 minutes and 30 seconds of pure trash but if the last 30 seconds you're able to quiet your mind that's a success because mm. it's just a practice yeah. there's no good there's no bad to it and a thing that comes up for me that's really interesting is for like 10 years of my professional life, I thought that the key to helping people was to help them change their stories. And then I started researching trauma because we were actually working on a book and I was doing research on like what creates addiction. And I found Gabor Mate and he was essentially like all addiction comes from trauma. And I was like, I've heard that word, but I've never really studied it. And I started going down that rabbit hole and it revolutionized entirely how I see um, people can heal themselves and that it actually starts with the trauma of the body. And a mm. really interesting mm. thing to feel into is if the body is traumatized and there's no one in our culture that is privileged enough not to have trauma, that if the body is traumatized, what the watcher is seeking to do unconsciously mm. is as if it doesn't have free will, that it's 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 flinching in a way based off of things that happened in the past where it, it, it's unable to fully express. And what I've learned just in the last couple of weeks through working with a physical trainer, um, because I have a decade of trauma in my shoulder from an injury when I was in high school, and that the truth of my body in 
without the presence of someone to push me beyond it would actually be to keep me in my trauma. Like I would not go beyond what feels safe because the uh, authentic life flow of the living one is like, no, no. And it took an external person who I trusted to tell me, you're actually safe. Your body signals right now are incorrect. Trust me. And I fucking hated him in that moment. But then I went beyond, like physically, I went beyond a range of motion that I would never have gone beyond if I was only listening to the intelligence of Damn. my body. And so when I think of the watcher, like the ultimate expression of the one that's living would be that Ram Das God breathing. But the ultimate expression of the watcher is like, it's the just right parent. It's the one that can mm. see the child. And it's like, mm -hmm. I see you. I feel that you're telling me that you can't do more. You can, and you're safe. And it's one of the things that we are constantly trying to learn as space holders. What is our responsibility when it comes to honoring where their body is at right now, honoring what the child is really saying. And then when do we ask them to go beyond? And we still haven't figured that out. Like that's a constant like musical situational. Yeah, you gotta really read read the situation. What occurs to me is if you define cult as a way to actually indoctrinate and put a new set of constructs into the watcher to control people, where what actually is happening is we're the mm. anti-cult. <laughs> it's really it's really the irony of the situation is the accusation is actually we're actually the opposite because what we're trying to do is restore people's radical free will yes like the radical freedom that we and sovereignty that we all have like that's if you were to boil down what we're actually doing in fit for service it's absolute radical freedom and permission to be you in the fullest extent of what that is beyond all of the programming that it is it's really the anti-cult it's the unwinding and unlearning of everything that's kept you small kept you restricted kept you from being the fullness of who you are and the example that we all try to set i mean one of the things that i know about leadership is if you want to lead go first you know and this is always a way when we did that exercise in sedona where you know the idea was to share something that was really deeply challenging in your life something that was really hard i knew that the way to get this kicked off was to go first and i shared the story you know to you about when my father was you know, my father became mentally ill and I had to go into the house and I had to confront him and I had to let in the police and the police took him away. And it's a, it's a very powerful story that's actually getting woven into the darkness documentary from that, from what was filmed there. But I was, I just broke down and I was just sobbing and there's, you know, 200 people watching me just drooling and sobbing and crying and you being there and just putting your hand on my heart and saying like, I see you, you know, I see you. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, everybody else is like, well, fuck. <laughs> I guess I can say some shit too. Yeah. I guess I can share what's really been hard for me. I guess it's okay if I cry and, and lose it. And, and, and that's, I think, the, the big thing here is that if you really want to lead and you really want to do this, go first. Go first. Just have the courage to go first and be like, and then you'll see that people, maybe some people won't be ready yet. And then that's okay. Then you know where they're at. That's all right. You know, but if you go first, it gives the permission for everybody else to be like, okay, this is safe. It feels like, you know, with 
Eric's um, metaphor of the the parent instead of the judge, um, like the antidote to what the um, like the shadow parent or the the parent that kind of shaped us, whether that was society or religion or our own parents, was um, the withdrawal of permission. So that was all wow. shaped by um, saying no, no, you can't be, you know, behave well, and we have a lot of unlearning to do there and it starts with permission. I, I just had a radical experience this week where because I was so um I was so deeply ingrained to be good, to be a nice girl. And it helped me feel safe. You know, we're we're animals. We the watcher is helping us survive. Um it believes it is. It believes it is. But what you know your story is so powerful it made me emotional because um, at a certain point, we can't trust it anymore that it's actually got our best interests at heart. And and I had permission from someone I'm working with um, to work with a dream I had where I was being attacked by a man. And he said, what did you want to do in that moment? And I said, I wanted to turn around, grab him by the throat and throw him. And he said, he put pillows in front of me and he said, do it. And I was like, I can't, I can't. Like it's it feels awkward. And I just... I was choking the life out of this pillow and screaming, don't fucking touch me. Don't fucking touch me. I'll fucking kill you if you fucking touch me. And I, I mean, like, I was in, like, kill mode. But I never, I realized, like, my whole life, everywhere I walk, it's the story is, like, make sure they like you so you don't get hurt. See a stranger on the street, you smile, even if you feel something in your gut, especially as a woman. And all the times I let people touch me and I didn't say what I was feeling. And what I was feeling was I want to turn around and grab you by the neck and fucking kill you. And just to have that space to express that. I don't need to kill somebody, but I need my body needs to express the primal rage that is there. Needs to feel that you'll defend it. Yeah. And I wasn't for my whole life. So it's like allowing and the energy that comes back all the energy that's taken to dissociate from my anger like no wonder i was tired all the time no wonder i love stimulants etc cetera, etc cetera. it's like such yeah. a coming home a, a, yeah. a, repression repression is corrected by expression mm -hmm. get them write that mm -hmm. down somebody <laughs> i mean that's it like all of this thing that we've repressed when you express it like that's it and relieves the pressure I mean, this is something that Stephen Jaggers taught yeah, you. You just great. told me that once, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's these exactly words are like these words are very important." They're just like got goosebumps. Clues. Yeah, uh, I shout out to Jaggers. I uh, saw him post um, uh, either I believe he said numbness is an active process. Like it, it is your birthright to Ooh. sense and to feel. And if you don't feel, you are actively expending energy to blunt the natural function of your body and that when you express you break through the numbness and you free all of this life force inside of you so true the when you talk about these ways in which you can get to that one of the interesting things about sports is sports is great because it reveals a truth about somebody that you normally wouldn't see because pressure reveals things and we've seen this also globally like the pressure of this pandemic has revealed things about different people and we have the choice then we can either judge that we can either judge what we see and that's a very natural inclination is to judge what you see 
but the other invitation is to look at it from the ceremonial context and that's the beauty of seeing something Mm -hmm. as a ceremony when you see it as a ceremony like you see breath work there's no judgment right like if someone's crying if someone's rageful if someone's going through whatever it's like oh this is a ceremony Mm -hmm. you know but we have the invitation to look at life like a ceremony or sports like a ceremony you know someone's like getting really hard on themselves and beating themselves up all right this is their ceremony how do you hold space for that if someone's like gets panicked and terrified and freezes in a moment of challenge like okay that's a ceremony like how do you be there for that instead of getting in that place of judgment so i think a lot of times we use these kind of intense things and then we reveal something and then we're like that ah, well we found out what's found out what's wrong with that person and, and maybe that is the right choice maybe there is a discernment that you need like all right we're not in alignment yet and so i do really like playing sports with people i like seeing what's underneath the surface there i like going through these things but i haven't reached a level of consciousness and universal radical love where i don't still be like a little bit judgmental unless i've overlaid the ceremonial context mm-hmm. which is the whole entirety of a fit for service experience is like the whole fucking thing is a ceremony so there's no judgment during that whole thing but you know if it's if it's on the pickleball court or if it's on the basketball court or we're like in a in a fucking cold plunge or just out in the sauna i won't look at that like a ceremony i'll be like what's wrong with this fucking person yeah get your ass back in here yeah. for fucking eight minutes come on yeah you know it's, it's 180 a- <laughs> it ain't 230 let's go so it's like uh it's very powerful to bond people together in that but i think the invitation is not only to do hard shit but do hard shit and try to get to the place where you're not going to judge them and look at it like a ceremony and recognize that life is hard shit and everybody's in their ceremony right but if nobody knows that they're in a ceremony, so they just think they're just being, they're just acting accordingly. But like we're all being tested always. Like how are we going to respond? How are you going to respond? And how are you going to respond as a witness? Yeah, the interesting thing to feel into, and I wrote about this a little bit a couple of days ago because it's it's been really heavy for me. And it's that um, when you overlay the ceremonial context, you're essentially saying, how is this happening for me? And how is this happening for us? And one of the things that I've been feeling into is most people's default is, um, how is this happening to me? Or why is this happening to me? Too? Right. It's, a, it's, it's essentially to look for not how can I learn and grow from this, but who's at fault for why this is. And the thing that I've been feeling into, and this is also like an interesting thing about anyone who wants to be a part of a community, and it's that these agreements are psychotechnologies and they're incredibly powerful when you claim them for yourself. Mm. If you ever try to force someone else to claim them, I think that's where you're transgressing because that's essentially where you're robbing them of their ability. And it won't work. It won't work. And it it has to be chosen. And it can fucking hurt other people. Like when you look at someone who isn't ready to put on the ceremonial context and they've been through a tremendous amount of pain and you tell them this is happening for you it feels like one of the cruelest things that you can do to someone because for them i think where why it feels cruel is you haven't bore witness to me to the point where you get to say that to me and largely that's because they haven't witnessed themselves fully or allowed themselves to be witnessed by you and that for anyone who is trying to cultivate community, whatever the agreements are, they must be self-chosen and they cannot be imposed. 
One of the things that I recall from spending time with Mike Dolce back in the day is he said the favorite part of his job was at the very end of a weight cut. And Mike Dolce was helping a lot of fighters go through weight cuts, you know, um, because at the very end of the weight cut, when they're completely dehydrated and they're in that hot bath for the fucking 10th time, spitting in a cup, trying to get the last fucking bit of ounce of moisture out of their body, there's there's a real truth that emerges and sometimes the truth is that person is a, a fucking dick you know just like angry and but underneath that is like is there's a real truth that emerges and he would always look at that like a ceremony like we're going into ceremony so if if that person cusses at me and is a, is an asshole like it's okay this is a ceremony like it's all good like i'm here for you you know and and you're not i'm not going to take offense for that and uh, i i wonder you know for you Kyle having been in that type of environment if if that's something that like just because of the hardness of that part of course fighting is hard too you know but there's a lot of judgment that can happen in fighting in the actual contest of the sport you know but in that in that moment you know whether you felt like you accessed something because this was probably even before you were really deep in your own spiritual path and you're probably with other people in the in the weight cuts and I think it's this kind of like understood scenario Whereas if your your homie who's fighting is in a weight cut and they and they fucking break in some way, like you don't hold that shit against them, you know. Yeah. It's like there's like a weird, it's like it's understood ceremony amongst amongst like fighters and warriors in this in this position. Like, yeah, I fucking get it. Yeah, it's it's bringing up tons of memories. I I always had an easy time, not easy, but I always made weight fairly easy. I didn't I put it back on, but I didn't. It wasn't the right way to put it back on. I could get it off quick. And it just, you know, it affected my cardio immensely when I was fighting. But bringing up memories, like I, I know uh, Weetzy would take us to do a sweat lodge before each fight camp to really clear and get clear on what we were going to focus on and what we were trying to accomplish and, and what what needed to be exercised out before we got really serious about the camp. And then at the end, after the fight, we'd go in to heal, to let go, to see everything and to forgive and just say, I'm going to let go of all this shit now and not hold it you know, like we new direction, new directives, but I'm not going to let that linger. And I remember doing a sweat with John Fitch and a bunch of other guys. And, and, um, Weetzy was a bit of a hard ass, you know? So <laughs> he's like, if he goes, anybody leaves in between rounds, you don't come back in, you know? And it was like super hardcore warrior sweat and he's with all fighters. So I could see if, you know, he, he can get away with that. But Fitch felt like he was fucking trapped inside the weight cut. And he goes, I can't, I can't. And I'm like, just stay with us, brother. Just, just lay down. You're fine. So he's laying down. And I think another, he gets through like one more round. And uh, the second the flap opens, he fucking bolts out and waits. He chases after him, yelling <laughs> him, right? And so I asked John, I was like, what happened, man? And he goes, there was a weight cut that I had where Bob Cook, our coach, actually stood at the door and locked him in there until oh, he made Jesus. weight in the sauna, right? And so he felt like he was back there like fucking locked in the sauna until he made weight. And I was like, holy shit. So whatever judgment I had in the moment about like, come on, dude, be a fucking pussy. We're all sitting in here. You know, <laughs> at that point, it was like, wow. It brought me to like another level of the game in, in recognizing just how hard each person's experience can be. You know, and like every little memory like that, I mean, we do breath work. We've done quite a few breath work journeys. We've done some, we've done a boga together. We've done yeah. some really gnarly uh, experiences with plant medicines. And 
you know, initially, if you see somebody struggling in breath, it's kind of like, come on, it's breath work. But like the second that voice comes up, it's overcome with the the John Fitch story. It's overcome with, the, oh, my first time I fucking completely broke down and was turned inside out and shit my pants or mm-hmm. sobbed like a fucking baby for eight hours or couldn't. I mean, even, fuck, talking about crying, like I couldn't talk about guiding breath work without crying for a mm. week after Sedona. Yeah because of the level of connection that I had with a couple of our members. And um, I think that there are so many gifts in that. When I think about you know how much we learn and grow as coaches, because we're all walking the same fire walk with each one of our members, some of the most powerful experiences are just that, the level of compassion that I have from going through these things with our members and the connection points that I have to members that I've been with for a very long time, when they crack wide open, it cracks me wide open. And that's that's special. You know, it goes well beyond like anything that happens in everyday life. Compassion is oneness. When There's... we connect to that, we are breaking the barrier of other and self. And that is such big medicine every time we can touch it. And the thing that comes alive for me when I hear that story, and it's so powerful, Kyle, I appreciate you sharing that, is... Mm-hmm. All the people who uh, would use the judgment of cults or all the people who are quote unquote on the outside and looking in and judging, there's a child in a sweat lodge and there's a guard at the door. And we know what we're touching when we're in community with each other. And their inner guard is traumatizing them. And it's like, no, you can't go there. You, you cannot go there. And so it just, it spews all this stuff, but the, it is compassion. It's like, we all know what it feels like to just feel free to hug someone fully. Like as a man, to hug a man and not have there be any bullshit there. Like I remember for a long time where that wasn't possible. For me, the people that really stand out the most is like, it's my family and it's the friends that I grew up with. And it's like, they they can't hug me. They they still don't have it in their body where they feel safe to hug. They will, I've never seen them let themselves cry. Or if they do, it's it's this type of crying where they're shaming themselves as they're crying and it's deepening the pain and just feeling how heavy that judge is. That's like, you like you can't have that the way that this watcher works the watcher being the where the judge lives the way that that works is it's always going to be a little bit harsher than whatever you've experienced that's been painful in your life Mm. so Mm. that's how we prevent ourselves from getting in that same situation that hurt us well if our own internal watcher is more severe than the external watcher well then we'll be safe because we'll navigate ourselves away from that situation where we're really hurt and this is like i can think back to my own life of certain situations where my watcher was activated in a way that took a long time to unwind all right first one i really liked my little ponies i really liked them i like to have a whole stable of them like i was the genghis khan of my little ponies it was like look at all my horses you know aren't they pretty and they had they smelled good back in the day Uh i don't know whatever kind of toxic chemicals they (laughs) used 
But man, I, I, I was really sad when I got. I know a new about my that doll hair smell. <laughs> yeah, it's like this weird sweet rubber yep. <laughs> and poison, flame retardant, <laughs> yeah. sweet rubber poison of the My Little Ponies. And my stepbrothers, you know, would start to, you know, accuse me of being like a little gay kid, right? When homophobia was rampant, you know, 30, 35 years ago, like this was oh, just yeah. a part of our culture. This was, you use language to denigrate another person as a man by using homosexual references, right? So all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, uh, no my little, you fucking He-Man all the way. And no. I liked He-Man too, but like, I also like never stopped loving My Little Pony. I love so. you so much. <laughs> but ultimately, so actually it was our friendship, Kyle, that mm -hmm. actually really started to unwind that and i remember there was like a certain point i think we were just out like drinking or something and you like really hugged me and gave me like a like a real kiss like kind of close to the mouth but on the cheek and i was like oh wow like that's like one of the most manly dudes i know and he just <laughs> hugged me and kissed me almost on the mouth i guess i'm good and we would like hold hands sometimes and it's like wow oh and 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 i know psychologically like i have i there's no issue i have with anything involving homosexuality but still because of the way that my stepbrothers and culture acted about me and my my little ponies i was like a little like eh. i can't look that way i yeah. can't yeah exactly yeah. like this is something that's that i have to i have to steer away from which is a real tragedy and that that experience of you being a different type of watcher you being the external right. watcher exactly. and what yeah. like i was like oh wow i'm like I'm I'm free, and actually, I have My Little Ponies in my shower now. You know, like if anybody goes over, I'm running it. I'm running it back. So that's one experience, and then another experience. Actually, you helped to really heal me from, and this was a, a really brutal girlfriend I had in college, who she was. I was intoxicatingly attracted to her, and she was gorgeous and like sexually like. So I had sex with her, and I came like way too fast. You know, like, I mean, that's, I guess, subjective. It was like, but it was fast enough where she didn't orgasm. She didn't climax. And, and it was like, I was certainly wasn't quite ready to, but you know, it just, I was like fucking so into it. And she just looks at me and she goes, Ugh, and rolls <gasps> over, turns her back on me and starts masturbating. She said, <laughs> she, she looked you in the eyes and said, you're no knight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, and so I'm just laying in bed and like, and she's just masturbating with her back to me and after looking at me in disgust and i was like i am a loser i am the loser of most losers i don't even deserve to be alive i'd I'm somewhat might have turned me on in a weird fucked up way if she kept going for it i've been like all right all right i've still got another chance here just give me time let me just bide some time for the rebound to come back and i'll, I'll fucking show her you're gonna well, get it that was the quest right the quest was to always like show up in a way that she was fully redeemed. conquered and satiated and i was redeemed so i got stuck in this toxic cycle of redemption with her forever but it never worked i was always chasing a chasing a dragon that i could never catch because she was always going to you know she was always going to treat me in that certain way and then ultimately like you know i had a, had a very good relationship in between but it didn't really didn't really heal it started to a little bit but then in our relationship it was like i think because you're such a compassionate person i felt like oh actually i'm going to be loved no matter what and then it went from 
you know, this kind of like fearful response, which was then creating the reality that I was afraid of more likely of like, sometimes like I couldn't actually get hard enough or sometimes I would come too fast because I was so terrified of this external thing that happened. And it's so terrified really of me punishing myself because, you know, that girlfriend was gone, but I was so afraid my own watcher got so harsh to me that I was so scared that it was actually ruining sexuality for me. And then we get into that relationship and then everything starts to heal. And then all of a sudden, I'm like fucking King Kong, like beating <laughs> yeah. my chest on top of the bed, like, oh, oh, oh I'm old as man. You know? And you stayed that way ever since. <laughs> I, it have, it has healed. Yeah. But it's interesting because, you know, I, for me, these patterns are so deep. And, and I think the point of this is I'm, I'm very blessed. I'm so lucky to have been in relationship with you, to mm. have found you as a friend, you know, to heal and really correct these things that psychologically I knew this was all bullshit but I needed like a, a reflection to like help me, to help me like break the pattern of my own watcher. And I think at the highest level, when you can find these people that you really connect with in that way, you can correct these patterns. And at the same time, recognizing how hard it is to correct your own patterns, like maybe we can lay down the venom stinger of judgment that we're trying to stick everybody with in society. Because as you said, understand that their watcher is tormenting them. Yeah. is absolutely tormenting them and we we um like our watcher adopts the watchers that we allow to be in our space so for you and that girl your watcher took on the qualities that she you know reflected to you about who you needed to be and that's why it stayed with you and we get we get hooked into relationships or familiar constructs and 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 you know communities that may not be the most self-loving. And so if we want a healthy, loving witness, better, you know, healthy parent watcher, how we need to look at those relationships and really just at least draw a line in the sand of self-love that's like my one commitment to myself is going to be ruthless self-love through choosing wisely with who I'm gonna be around until I can really hold myself and be that permission slip to everybody else around me. Yeah, the thing that arises for me that is uh, interesting is like, so like the fourth quality of cultivating a community, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, Caitlin, which is being of service through your true expression. Because when you do that, you put forth the best representation of the watcher that the people around you could begin to integrate. Mm -hmm. Like you've taught me just through your behavior that it's okay to use aggression for the good. I have a long history with how I grew up where any expression of aggression meant that I was just like my dad and that was never a good thing. And that was a thing that haunted me for a long time. You taught me how to fucking express myself in a way where like my vitality, my quote unquote sexual energy can be in a room and that that be okay. And that that's something that I repressed, you know, for a long time. And you taught me that it's okay to be a fucking savage. And that was something that I I knew in basketball, but basketball was the only place where I felt like I could express that. And when I got injured for like 12 years, I watched my body like deteriorate. Like when I first came to on it, I was like a Skeletor type thing. Old videos of Godzi are like, <laughs> who is that? Yeah. <laughs> and that like- You ate old Godzi and became new Godzi. <laughs> 
And that, like, that's one of the beautiful things about community is that when you give people the permission to be their authentic self, their genius, their specific genius gets to emerge mm. and it gets to act as a tuning, resonating fork for other people's watcher. And it's easier to transform in community. I'm really glad you're here because you've held a tuning fork for um, for truth that has really changed my life. So I just want to say that. Thank and if, you. if we want to touch back on that on that ethos is I think the ethos gets really kind of simple when you want to talk about the ethos and mm -hmm. the ethos is one of radical reverence for the divine being, whoever they are. Like beyond the, the being behind the actions that that being has taken, understanding all of these psychodynamics of the watcher and the judge and the way that they're being tormented. So it's an understanding of the reverence of the person that's underneath all of that. And then with that, compassion. But it's not the pitiful, I'm separate from you, compassion. It's like, no, with you, I'm with you in your suffering. I've been there. I know that part of me. I see that part of me. And I'm willing to feel that with you. You know, you just for a moment to let you know that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. You know, and like these are some of like the key core elements of of really what this is all about. Like, can you hold someone in reverence, and are you willing to show them they're not alone by being with them in their suffering? Yeah, you know, to say like, no, no, me too. Like, tatwa masi, I am that too. What What are you going through? What are you experiencing? What are you feeling? Me too, me too. And then everybody's like, okay, cool. All right, well, what do we want to do now? You know, like this is, and then all of a sudden, like everybody snaps out of all of these cycles and they're like, okay, well, fuck, we're free. Now what? Yeah. Now let's play. Now yeah. let's like create. Now let's yeah. do awesome shit. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think uh -huh. the first time I was in a group ceremony with ayahuasca, it was like, it amazed me how much in the sharing circle every person's story applied to me in some way. Yeah. Every person's story lifted me in some way. And of course, over time, with, with more and more, group sessions that really becomes something that's unshakable and i remember going out to paul checks earlier this year for a painting workshop on mandalas and he reiterated that he said all of you have come here this weekend because all of you share something in common with one another so don't tune out when i take a deep dive into someone else's art that may look nothing like yours pay attention because something i say about them is going to apply to you we're all divine mirrors for one another and I was like, oh yeah, of course, like life's a ceremony. And, and yeah, of course that applies to a fucking painting workshop. And it for sure applies to fit for service. You know, like whenever somebody comes, however long they stay and, and whenever they go, they come at exactly the right moment with the exact right people to receive the exact mm -hmm. medicine that they need. And whoever out there wants to form their own group, trust in the fact that whoever's decided to show up in that group each of you is a mirror for one another. Each of you is experiencing something now or in the past or will very soon and, and can relate to each other in a way that really no one else can. Yeah, the quote that comes up is where two or more of me are gathered, there I am. You know, where Ooh. two or more of you are gathered, there I am. And the thing- And that was coming from God. Right. Yeah. That um, <laughs> I think the fifth thing for building a community is commit to meet in person. Charles Eisenstein has this quote where he said that like gatherings or festivals are synchronicity amplifiers. 
synchronicities are one of those things where I was a hardcore scientific atheist. You couldn't tell me shit about shit without me arguing with you about how it wasn't real. And the thing that cracked me open was synchronicities and that there is something that happens when you gather in a group with the intention of doing truly anything. But ideally the intention would be radical reverence, tell the truth, be of service, express yourself. There's something that happens when you gather in person where there's this collective intelligence that begins to emerge that to try to talk away the miracles that you witness, it really is like gaslighting yourself. Like yeah. there's something about the felt sense of a synchronicity that if you bring skepticism to it, at least for me, it feels like I'm gaslighting myself and I just have chosen to stop doing that. So for people, we've talked a lot about the positive attributes. Let's talk about some of the ways that people can see some red flags mm. because we yes. deeply desire these things that we mentioned. And there's been people from the beginning of fucking time who have abused our own calling to be seen, to be loved, to be in community and abused it for their own personal gain and purposes. So let's take a moment to think about, you know, situations maybe that we've been involved in or just generalities in which there's some warning signs some things to really you know things to look out for and and i'll i'll jump to you go for it go for it you go first no you, you got more to explain well, i was just gonna I'll say wait. like one of the things the first thing that came the first thing that comes to me is something that paul selig said about spiritual guidance and he says he only has two rules. Paul Selig is one of the few channels that I actually think has like a clear channel to the guides, like a, a real connection to something. And I would have never believed that was possible until I met Paul. And never. I always approach this skeptical and like the guides are fucking on point. And what he says is says, if anyone or any guidance or anything that's in person or in some other kind of channeled form is either creating more fear or inflating your ego, get the fuck out of there. And I see this so often yep. with so many different types of, you know, leaders. They're either in some kind of doomsday situation creating fear. Well, that's fear is one of the best ways to control somebody, right? And then the other way to control somebody is to inflate them, is to really make them and give them some story like I know certain psychics that tell everybody that they're like the queen of and the emperor of this fucking star nation and this <laughs> fucking thing. And then there's like, they've probably told 14 people that they were Cleopatra in a past life. Like, I don't know how many people can be Cleopatra, but like not that many, <laughs> you know, probably one. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works, but I don't think <laughs> yeah, the collective Cleopatra, <laughs> but all of these things that you see are like, they're like very, for me, I've used those two as like, two bumpers that I can always anchor to is like, okay, is this creating yep. more fear or is this inflating me in some way? Because both of those are fucking dangerous. The thing for me that is really alive is if the leader of the group or the one of the collective ethos of the group fundamentally turn you away from your daemon, that if, if they seek to be the arbiter of your truth, above your daemon you like that inner whisper red flag i will not be a part of it and um fundamentally i think that 
one of the stickiest points in the quote unquote spiritual community or the transformational community are guides or channels or whatever you want to call them because they seek to be the daemon for the other person. And if they're not impeccably clear, they're projecting their shit onto someone else in a type of container where the other person allows it to supersede their knowing. And that to me is absolutely a red flag. I think that was coming up for me. I mean, shamanism, you know, like we've, we've heard Amber Lyon on Rogan talk about, you know, some of her experiences. And I think anybody that, that first starts looking into plant medicines realizes there is a dark side because humans yeah, are fucking human. There's a predatory universe everywhere. Yeah, no doubt about it. But on the, on the, so like that, that's, you know, maybe on one end of the spectrum, sliding it back and bridging into what Godzi was just talking about. You know, I, I remember there were circles that I was sitting in initially and early on where, the <clears throat> maestros at the end would wait for someone and some not sometimes not wait for the person to finish saying their piece and closing ceremony and interrupt them to tell the group what that meant and interrupt them to lay their interpretation of that person's experience mm -hmm. down. And, you know, this doesn't just apply to, to plant medicines. It applies everywhere. If you're sharing and whoever's facilitating interrupts you or goes, you know, that reminds me of X, Y, and Z of my own life. And this is how this applies to your story because I know your story better than you do. Anytime that comes in, that is effectively robbing somebody of the full gift of what their interpretation is and what that will become, right? Because there's there's the story and the idea of the things that we learn through an experience initially, and then there's that's what that blossoms into over time by continuing the investigation and the inner dialogue. But truthfully, it should whatever you're into it should be and it could be even something western medicine style with a psychiatrist they should you be guiding you back to your own inner voice guiding you back to your own inner intelligence because at the end of the day we are the the co-authors of our own life and without that we just become an actor in a play we have to take that back for ourselves and this is one of the greatest lessons in the ceremony of this round for us is sovereignty and that really comes back to how do I effectively become in charge of my own life and let go of the inner victim, which we all share. Caroline May says it's a universal archetype. How do we let go of that, learn from it and let go and move into a sovereign individual that can choose rightly what is the best decision for me and for the good of all? Yeah, and to go off what you were previously saying, if your spiritual leader is trying to fuck you, that's yeah. also a big, that's a problem. That's a big, yeah. red, that's a problem. That's a big that's a red flag. I mean, how many of these fucking movements have been like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Those are some pretty cool ideas. Oh, and then he, they tried to fuck everybody. Yeah, some high level dudes. You like, know, it's, high level. It's like over and over and over and over again. And I think, obviously, I mean, it's an obvious one, but like, yeah, like be mindful because you're going to be so open and vulnerable in the in the magnetism of anybody who accesses that spiritual mystery to a higher degree the magnetism is going to be strong but like if anybody takes that bait like that's the wrong fuck get the fuck out of there like it's not right alistair crowley went through how many cohorts you know like he they kept coming to him because he was able to give them something no one else could he wasn't a good looking dude he was fucking hideous you know but he was <laughs> you know what in some ways a dark sith lord of of spirituality who could access things no one else could and yet the line was long 
to get in the door, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things, or there's a couple of things to feel into. One is um, leaders naturally emerge in community, period. I think having the ideological hope that there will be no leaders is naive. I just don't think, I, I haven't seen an example where that doesn't emerge. And so if you're in a community and you're in a position where you are emerging as a leader, you have to do the self-work to be able to hold complete power. Because if you have complete power and you have any type of kinks in like your desires, you can ruin the group. And I think one of the beautiful things about why Fit for Service has worked is you've done so much of the work before getting the power that this would allow you where you're like, I know what I do with complete power and it's worked. And so I'm thankful that you did all the all the sexing that you needed to do to get to the point where you could have all this power and that like we trust you and that you've it's been felt. impeccable with it and it's felt by the people in the yeah. community the other thing it's that all, it's honestly it's been something that's reflected to me more often and it's always surprising it's like i just want to thank you so much for making me feel so safe and, and the woman saying that i'm like uh yeah yes of course obviously you're welcome but like what happened like i mean it's like I, it's so like yeah it's so it so violates like the deepest it's like the deepest level of virtue yeah that you have that somebody would like abuse that situation it's, it's the sacred like such a such an honor to yeah. be to be in that position and to abuse that is like that's a real it's a real travesty when that happens it's a real violation that is a compliment that uh, all three of the male coaches get from females in the group. And every time I get that compliment, it, it breaks my heart a little bit when I feel into <sighs> receiving the presence of a woman as an individual and not a sexual object or experience. Like um, it, it breaks my heart to feel that just showing up to them like they're a person first is something worth them seeking me out afterwards and saying thank you. Wow. The other point that I was going to share before that came up for me was um, if there's a culture of lying or gossip, you know, that if, mm -hmm. if, if there's an inability for the truth to be held by the container, uh, it's being poisoned and that's I, a great one we have to we have to bring that up if you're fucking open sourcing this mm -hmm. our sit downs as a group at the beginning of each year and as needed right where we have the airing of grievances mm -hmm. and in the container that you put forward where all will be heard all is acceptable is such a massive piece of this equation because you know gossip brews when you don't have an avenue to share the lies start and uh, you know, the backdoor conversations start when you when you don't have that container that openly welcomes it and says, you have a voice and I want to hear it. And at every turn you offer that. But not just along with the offering, you actually create a container where we sit down and maybe we do a little hop A or something like that to tune into co-resonance, but then it's let it fucking out. Everyone gets the talking stick. Everyone's gonna have a turn and these are the things, these are the prompts, I'll go first, and then we mm -hmm. each get to really say what's on our mind and how we feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's essential. Yeah, 
I feel this is um, a huge one. And one thing I was going to say about red flags is just bad othering, period. If mm. it's like a collective, yes. like us against them, yes. that seems to be kind of a hallmark of the more common interpretation of cult. It's like we are either superior or, you know, they're bad. And that's the essence of gossip. It's like, sort of you know there's degrees but it's kind of like what's well, also the dark side of tribalism in general yes it's like we are this that is different from you and yes. i think a lot of different groups have put together ways in which like we all wear the same color right well okay cool that can create some internal cohesion but it's also psychologically going to be like this is my team and everybody else who's not on this team is not me right so it, it closes it closes the circle in a way that like we're this and you're you're on the other side and it's reinforcing these things so i'm not saying like it's you can't wear fucking team colors or whatever it's fine like yeah. especially if you're playing basketball like it's helpful to have you know a jersey yeah like i get it but for most of these things it's it's probably actually doing more harm than good because it's it's training you to think this is my people and these are the other people, which is the it's antithesis <laughs> of what like what we're really going for, which is like, no, we're all yeah. one we're organism all one. and different cells of that organism. And so it's like, be mindful of those type of situations where you're, it's like, this is us and this is them. Yeah. And the thing that that brings up for me that feels incredibly important, um, it's not necessarily a red flag, but it's like a maroon flag. And it's if a group, if the leaders of a group aren't explicitly aware and actively trying to navigate the evolutionary processes that want to think muddily, want to stay in biases and heuristics where fundamentally it starts to create an echo chamber that lacks like epistemological humility. Like if we believe we know and we mm -hmm. aren't willing to question all the things that we think that we know as, as a group consistently and, and yes. intentionally, because it, it doesn't matter how dope the group is. If you don't have a space to question all of your quote unquote sacred cows, the chances of you devolving into tribalism is almost guaranteed because it, it's woven into what got us through our evolutionary history to get to the point where we can talk and record shit. Mm -hmm. Yep. I would say also to add to that, I think that one's very, very important. And um, also on the flip side of, you know, we talk about on the light side, offering permission and connecting to what Kyle shared, asking for permission are the people who her you know, cultivating this space, not only inviting you and giving you permission to do something, but also having a dialogue with you about whether you want to do it and offering the permission to go at your own pace and and to decline if you're not ready and really fostering that that mutual permission that's actually a conversation and not an imposition of pressure. And also just really, this one's really a little bit more tricky because we talked about how the body can kind of um, be deceptive and it's guarding, yeah. but ultimately we all have this super sentient capacity for feeling what is good for us. And there's a gut feeling and there is a sense of relaxation, expansion. There may be fear, there may be timidity or trepidation about something unfamiliar or meeting new people, but if you put yourself in that space to get to connect with people, you have a tuning fork inside of you that's going to go like, eh, 
I am not comfortable and this is not okay. Or that was scary, but this feels really, really good. And I'm going to take a next step and I'm going to take a next step. So like being in that conversation with your intuitive guidance when you're stepping into community and then feeling, you know, if, if you're feeling fear or discomfort, is it a safe place where you can just voice that and say, I'm feeling kind of off, you know, I don't, I, I'm feeling afraid. I don't want to do it. You know, like how does the community receive you in that? And, um, you know, allowing the community space to be a place where you actually flex that muscle of using your own intuitive compass and, and, develop it more rather than losing it in the in the group i think another thing that's you know worth mentioning is if you're ready to go and the group is like no you have to stay or uses leverage to keep you wrong fucking group get the fuck out like like it doesn't matter like if you're ready to go beautiful you know like we'll offer refunds to anybody up to the point they're there and say like all right cool you didn't make it like here's all the rest of your money back for the rest of the time we have whether it's nine weeks and they're four weeks in and they're like all right well fuck here's your money back for the yeah. for the time you've had and if they're like they fuss about it and like i want all my money sure okay good like yeah we wish you the best like go have you know live your life we trust you we trust you if this is not for you we trust you mm-hmm. it's that's fine you know but so many of these other situations you see and it's like there's this intense pressure, pressure. You know, like I watched that fucking Scientology documentary and I was like, holy shit. Is that on HBO? It was on, uh, yeah, I think it's it was on, HBO. on, it's on HBO. Fucking A, man. But like they, so they do a couple things. One, they have this like coming clear vulnerability thing where you like share all the things that create tension in your body, but then they record it and then they use it as blackmail against you <laughs> later as you're coming clear and like confessing. It would be like if the, if the, oh pri- if the priest that you were confessing to then all of a sudden was like taking notes or had like a little tape recorder and was like, ah, I'm, th- I'm not really feeling the church anymore. And they're like, oh, but what about this? <laughs> oh, this? Goat you know? fucker. Yeah, exactly. Like fucking crazy, <laughs> you know? And then like, if, if they tried to leave, there would be people that would be like pressuring them to come back. And I mean, this is just a movie and I don't know the truth of the truth, but from what I saw in that fucking documentary, it was called Coming Clear. I was like, holy shit this is dark it's based off really good investigative journalism and it's probably true and like the thing that i feel into is anyone who is a therapist or a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist or a quote-unquote healer or whatever if their primary goal is not to get you to never need them again Mm. i think that they're in that like devouring parent archetype in the same way that if your parent is not actively seeking to be such a good parent that you never need them as a parent again, they're fundamentally sinning in the way we're like where they're missing the mark. And our goal for Fit for Service, and we say it every single event, is we want you to get to the point where you do not need us and you go do this where you live. Like this will not work if you only feel the heat of the fire when you come here. This will work if you put in your stick and bring your fire back where you're going and then spread it there. That It's the only way that it works. And so we are seeking to do such a good job where people don't come back. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't mean that they may not want to dive back in. No, for sure. And like they don't come need experience to. the the initiations and the you know new shit. The new the new awesome shit that we're doing, but they don't need to. And I think exactly. that's a big distinction between want 
and need because we have i mean we have some awesome shit especially this year and i think it's worth talking about um this year we're offering way more than we did before so we got a couple different programs and i'll let you start first because yours is fucking first up the out world's of the first 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 <laughs> ever yeah, 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 first more. ever immersive with yeah. my my brother eric godzi yeah we were um we were in Sedona and you started proposing some of the different things that we were going to change going forward next year. And it just hit us all. I mean, I, I can speak for myself, but it was like the fucking biggest blast of novelty wave that I felt where I was like lit on fire. And it was almost to the point where I didn't realize, was I coasting for a minute there? I don't think I was coasting because I was still bringing the sauce and like it's we teach what's alive in us. Right. So it's mm -hmm. not like I'm rehashing shit that I don't want to go over. But now we had this opportunity for something brand new. And uh, we were doing a soul wander on the land with Miss Anahata Ananda, one of our dear medicine women. And I went and chickened out of it and I camped out next to your natural uh, <laughs> water pond. And I yeah. was like, she said, connect to the elements and water's calling me. So I just laid down and I could hear the trickle of the, the stream going by my head and it just started flooding in. Everything that I've taught for the last three years and done by myself at different periods of time, I've never actually done that experienced that with a group and i've never actually connected all of those dots in the same moments on a daily five days straight and so as i really started thinking about that i was like well i've been teaching people about fasting and intermittent fasting and fasting mimicking diet and i've done it all what if we gave that to them what if we had 30 fucking people all fast together and each day while we're fasting they're getting a crash course on the body as a tuning fork from myself on the mind and the psyche journaling and rewriting your life going forward from godzi also breaking down dream analysis for the very first 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 time <laughs> ever godzi's going to be doing daily dream analysis and you know um even though she's not going to be there we're going to be working with ziva meditation and emily fletcher and we're going to have a two-week course that that gives people access indefinitely so they're going to ramp up for two weeks leading up to the event with twice a day daily pra daily meditation practice that literally changed my life. Her meditation practice, I put as important as ayahuasca for me, you know, and that many people may not have experienced ayahuasca, but if you've heard me on a podcast, you know, mm -hmm. I hold Aya with the most reverence. So that meditation practice, and I've tried all sorts of shit, you know, binaural beats, everything. So like to be able to have access to that and then drop into that twice a day with each other, to go from a fucking blazing hot sauna and then run and jump into an ice cold, frigid Texas pond late January, <laughs> you know, and then to start our practices from there every single day together. It, there's nothing like it, truly. Like I could really feel that, how much, number one, I needed it. And number two, how cool that is to actually go through that. And, you know, we, we have events with 150, 200, 300 people. You know, there's a lot of people and there's only so much time people have with the coaches. And I think one of the things that some of the members have really been asking for is more time with us. This is, you're going to live. Yeah. You know, every full fucking days with me and Eric, where they really get to pick our brain and really get to have every single question answered on anything, you know. And then at the end of this, we're going to have a sound healing ceremony that's just gonna blow everyone's <laughs> fucking mind. You know, and we've got blood work at the beginning through Ways to Well. Every medical question will be answered. Supplements, medications, anything someone needs that I can't really service, they're gonna have that service from some of the best nurse practitioners on the planet. And um, 
we're going to get to see, you know, we're going to get to see like, how did eating like shit from fucking all November and December affect my health internally? And, and then from there, we can have blood work done after the fact. And one of the beautiful things about the fasting mimicking diet is that this shit changes you internally for months. We will see a benefit, benefit to many markers for metabolic flexibility or inflexibility, uh, inflammation, all sorts of things that are precursors towards disease. Mm -hmm. We get to see all of that unraveled yeah. for us in one of the coolest ways where we get to back things with data points internally that we're not going to hit. And then we get to experience all of the shit you can't quantify. What does it actually feel like to meditate every day, twice a day? What does it actually feel like to start a day with a sauna and a nice bath and move from there? What does it actually feel like to get incredibly clear on what it is that you're cultivating and write it out and, yep. and become masters of that? Mm. The thing that feels alive for me and like the fundamental thing that we found is we got so good at doing these large events where we almost filtered ourselves out as coaches because we found ecstatic dance, breath work, these type of group experiences where we're bringing in experts doing super dope things, we as coaches started doing much, much less. And we both were like, we've got a bunch of stuff that we know that we can share. And the members are also asking for more time from us, but we've, our events are packed and people are getting much, as much as they can hold. And, and then some. <laughs> and also the amount, I mean, the amount of master coaches we're bringing in. Exactly. You know, whether it's Jamie, you know, for the core event, we have Jamie Wheel and Emily Fletcher and Tom Colwitty and then Lucas Mack and Hello Weston right. and Blue and Jaggers. And we're like, and we're there and we're doing our thing too. So there's like, it's just this like fucking Avengers lineup right. of people there. So these smaller ones give, you know, give us a chance to dive in on something specific which was cool. It was exciting for us 100%. to think about while we're going to, yeah, we're going to keep doing these fucking amazing transformational initiatory experiences, condensing them slightly down from four months to nine weeks, just because we actually saw that the pattern of behavior was this building of energy up to the summit. And then this, this kind of, that was the peak. And then there was this kind of downslope at the end through all of the integration. So offering the master classes on the front end and all the integration calls and the small group calls that, you know, that we all do, but condensing it a little bit so people know exactly like, all right, here's the time to allot for this. And then here's the, here's the container. And that gives more space for these, if people are interested to go dive into these other little immersives too. So I think that's like something that we're all really excited about. And, you know, it is possible this podcast is releasing January 5th. It's possible that we just gave people the most biggest bummer ever because it's Cause already it gonna be, be sold, sold out, out by then well, but we're, we're, if it is we'll I'm, run it back I'm, yeah i'm confident i'm confident that this will sell out and i'm confident that when we offer this later on in the year that that too is going to sell out and i and i think this is an immersive that i would be happy to do twice a year you know right. some of the guys i know dr peter atia a lot of people that understand the science of this stuff and just the fasting alone they're going to participate in that quarterly or twice a year Right, yeah. our buddy Ben Greenfield. You know, he does he does a lot of things like that, and he's a bit more hardcore. He's doing water fast, this fasting mimicking diet. We get a thousand calorie shake, give I mean, or he's take. Doing something right because he looks like he's fourteen. Always, he does, he does look like he's fourteen. <laughs> Perpetually he's fourteen. He's a fucking perfect, handsome little boy with with jacked arms, <laughs> with jacked arms, <laughs> crazy endurance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, thinking about that, it's like like that is 
what is the thing that I want to do? You know, like when, when I worked with you here at on it in product development, everything that came to be before I was here. And then once I got here was birthed out of a fucking true need to create something super dope. Like what is the product that needs to come out now? You know, before I got, I was, I was fucking slamming uh new mood, you know, just because mm. it worked. Right. Mm. And that was born as roll on roll off because <laughs> of the necessary yeah. needs of the Molly come down. Right. Yeah. So this, this immersive, and the immersives that we're putting together really come from combination of what what does this self need and what does the self want to experience and and then checking does that reverberate with the rest of you guys i remember telling you about this in sedona and you were just like fuck yeah i want to be a part of that and guys yeah. was like fuck yeah i want to be a yeah. part of as that as soon now. as he told me i was like i'm going <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. i will figure out a way to help yeah. cuz it's it's actually one of the hardest things in the world to do is especially if you're in partnership is to go on a fast while your partner's not fasting. Or while you got to cook for your fucking kids. Yeah, yeah And then for taste sure. to see how hot <laughs> it is. sure. I'm going to taste your food, but I won't swallow I, it. I can't tell you how many fasts have been ruined because like somebody's like, do you mind if I eat? And I'm like, no, of course not, sweetheart. Just eat. <laughs> and then I'm just watching him and I'm like, fuck it you know yeah, your nose is like 10 times <laughs> yeah. better yeah, it's 10x better minimum than it normally is i remember uh -huh. i remember doing a water fast and i was still working it's the hardest water fast i ever did i was still working at the strip club and i could smell an unopened bag he was a stripper of Doritos. by the way it was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh katie you can fucking <laughs> stuff money in my thong anytime you want <laughs> I could smell an unopened bag amongst all the other smells in a strip club. I could smell an <laughs> unopened bag of Doritos in uh, the bag, in an outfit bag in the locker room for the women's locker. Whoa. And I was like, who's got what? Doritos? It was fucking bananas. It was next level Superman shit. <laughs> I was like, I really need to fucking eat. And then of course I just pounded more water and stuffed my feelings down and, and let it happen. But you know, this is a lot easier than that. And, yeah. and just as we've been speaking about to go through these things together with other people that that you know the fast in and of itself is a fucking pressure cooker right we're going to be peeling layers of the onion back we're going to see what's going to come up for people burning man in and of itself is a challenge just to be there mm -hmm. from the weather the hot you're to the fasting because you're too busy to eat you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> too busy that's it i was thinking the same thing <laughs> so busy but but you know what happens when you're at burning man shit comes up they're like expect to lose oh, yeah. your shit at least once. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be your first time. It could be your 10th burn. Expect to lose your shit effectively. And that may uh -huh. be screaming. That may be fucking crying and sobbing. It may be fucking, you know, anything. Wandering Any the desert like Mad Max. Looking for the tribe. Every yeah. time. Yeah. You're going to get lost. <laughs> so, There's you a know, metaphor in there. I know that the fast alone is going to be that core piece for the body. And the body is a tuning fork. And we're really... You know, when we were thinking of titles for this, it was like well, the body is the temple. And we have this temple of body. We have a temple of mind and psyche, and we have a temple of spirit. And we're going to hit as best we can the practices for all three of those inside five days, then feast our first meal, first real food in five days together to ground that experience. And of course, we'll have integrative coaching calls one on one afterwards for the following weeks that, that go after that. But, you know, Hell it will a, sell hell of a way hell of a way to start the year and for yeah. people listening who don't make it in time before it sells out we're going to be doing we're going to be approaching the the body in the same sort of reverent way with our core summit program yep. it's yep. going to be really about tapping that the divine potential of the 
in our universe and the yeah. physical universe which also might sell out so we may <laughs> yeah. we may be really fucking all up right here but it's just in case but this is generally the idea even if these yeah. are sold but check it out it's all at fitforservice.com but what either way like there will be openings there will be opportunities what we're doing is expanding the mm-hmm. expanding the opportunity for more people to get access to different things that may speak to them on different levels and the other the other immersive program that we have is one thing that we've realized especially with Vilana and I coming into union the way we have is so many people who are curious about like how to get to the point where they find their sacred union they find their divine partner and it's a very interesting world that we're in this this new dating world that we're in because and also as people go through this evolution of consciousness how to find people of similar resonance is this constant issue that we get on every live every call all of the different things and whenever we talk about it there's a lot of interest generated so like all right fuck it we'll go straight like straight at it so by lana and myself uh partnering up with matthew hussey who's like one of the og geniuses of this whole field like i really deeply respect everything he has to say about you know attraction manifestation you know dating the whole like the whole process discernment about whether the person you're with is the right person or not and discernment in the choices about who you spend your time with and of course Vilana and i have we've had a long journey of that we're bringing in rebecca boatman who's also an expert you know dating coach and really focuses on how to take these things that you learn into practices out in the real world so some real world challenges so we're going to go through this with a group of unpartnered people you don't have to be necessarily single but people who are looking to call in you know another partnership and so single-ish i would say and and really go through all of the different techniques practices it's called the road to union um everything from discernment manifestation attraction and dating and it's ultimately going to lead to a mock date on valentine's day where we actually coach everybody on how to like have the most awesome date possible and just pick someone in the group now you may actually find that fucking incredible person at this summit because there's going to be an equal number of single men and single women and obviously the this is going to attract a lot of people who are interested in doing that deep work and interested in kind of becoming self-aware in that way and one of the interesting things about our community is there are enough men to actually pull this off like most of the communities out there that you see are mostly like very very women dominant everything from joe dispenza to a lot of these so we have some amazing dudes in this and also of course amazing amazing women so we're gonna go and uh and have that immersive february 12th 13th 14th um again i don't know if that's going to sell out or not but it's going to be these are just examples of some of the themes of like all right let's take this thing and go over all of the everything from philosophy to the science like the science of histocompatibility is something that i think people are really sleeping on this idea that someone's scent is actually signaling to us whether they're a dna match and we can try to think with our mind all the way through all of the reasons why someone's attractive or not attractive but if the smell is off we're going to be fighting an uphill battle and actually how that smell will shift whether the woman is on birth control or not it'll actually flip so a lot of these things that wednesday martin is showing and you know in the aggregate uh sexuality drops off a steep cliff for women you know after a certain number of years well one of the conflating variables is usually oftentimes at least in the aggregate when you're looking at mass numbers a 
woman is on birth control leading up to marriage and then then it's time to have kids you know a couple years in and then they get off birth control and all of a sudden their histocompatibility flips which is a very strange phenomenon and they're no longer they're no longer attracted to their partner so going through like everything from a scientific perspective to a psychological perspective to just really learning how to interact and and discern and also understanding what our trauma trauma bonding patterns are the ways that which we seek redemption like my story about my college girlfriend like becoming aware of these traps that you might be finding yourself in how you're trying to redeem yourself through a redeem a relationship with a parent or something else that's happening that you're not aware of that's driving you into the same type of relationship over and over again and try to break those patterns so it puts you in the best odds percentage chance to really navigate towards a, a really beautiful beautiful union also like awareness of all dating app culture and things you know like there's it's a it's a it's a wild interesting world yeah. so yeah. we're gonna go right into it and like the goal by the end of the year is we're gonna have the three core summits like we normally do but like we're looking at like eight to ten immersive sprinkle throughout the year caitlin's gonna lead some dope shit i'm gonna lead some dope shit we're gonna bring in other like incredible coaches and facilitators that we trust who have very specific medicine that doesn't fit into the container of the course and so there's going to be a lot of dope shit and i'm really excited for 2022 <laughs> yeah me too me too it's gonna it's be, be fun huge. Mm -hmm. i fucking love you guys i love thanks you for being on this journey thanks for being the people that i would show my my darkest dustiest dankest journal you have <laughs> yeah, i have i have and i actually you know there is a great liberation in what i found is there's that you're actually pretty safe sharing that with everyone you know what i mean yeah. and, and i and i get as close as possible i mean my whole darkness documentary is like one giant journal episode of me going through the most brutal transformational ceremony in the dark with my tape recorder and sharing it and it's there's like a little moment of like whoa that's a lot that's a lot of ugly cries and a lot of like deep shit. but the reception is always is always like kinder and more loving than you think it will be like the world is so much nicer than your watcher than your judge yeah sometimes and a stranger's easier to show it too it's it's very it's a really interesting phenomenon like the more you step into your vulnerability the more you'll actually be a magnet to the right type of people yep and the thing that you said that i think maybe people would pass over that is the hallmark of everything that we just shared is like the ultimate goal of community is to get everyone to the point where they can share their deepest truth with everyone yep and where they can be uh -oh. okay with it themselves which is the, the prerequisite because you're a part of everyone mm -hmm. that's a prerequisite i love y'all all right so much love look forward to seeing some of y'all this next year and seeing y'all every fucking day pretty much which is great <laughs> or done a life what a life best ever <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. And once again, if you're interested in Fit for Service, check out fitforservice.com and follow us on Instagram at fit.for.service.